Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. I am uh, uh, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He says, he says, I am he who is and was and is to come. So let's first deal with the idea of alpha and omega. Alpha means first. You've heard people talk about alpha males or alpha leaders, and these are people who walk in the room and they're, they're, they're protective and they're powerful people and they carry themselves well and they're strong and they're looking to help and they're looking to drive things forward. Well, God is the alpha. It really means so much more than that mere explanation on this planet. It means the beginning of all things. He is the beginning. He is the beginning. In other words, nothing happened before him. Because you need to understand this is a revelation you need to get. We always talk about the revelation that God is not affected by time because he stands outside of time. And so that means we think of God as so great that he is in eternity. And so we think of God being in eternity, but we would be wrong to think that. Because God is so great that not only does he stand outside of time, he also stands outside of eternity. God created eternity just like he created time. Before God, there was nothing. When God said, start, everything started. We don't know what was before the creation of the earth because that's what God tells us about in this word. But we know that God is so great that he started everything just by his mere words. When he stepped out on nothing and said, let there be Light, there was light. Stars filled the sky. Sun filled the sky. Moon filled the sky. There was light because of his mere mentioning that there should be. Amen. That's who we serve. That's God. And, 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 and Jesus here is saying to John, I, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am he who is and was and is to come. Now Jesus is speaking to a reference of his life in history. He's saying, I exist now. So I just want you to know you don't serve an iconoclastic figure that started a religion. You serve a living Savior who is not dead even though he was killed. He is alive because death cannot hold him. That is who you serve. He said, I am. I exist. I am in myself right now, I am. I am he who is. In other words, I am present in the present. And he said, I am he who was. He was before everything. He existed before death. He, he was someone who, who had life before he was killed. Think about that for a minute. And then he said, I am to come. So if he promised us that he was, and then he went to the death, to the grave, and then he rose up from the dead, dead and now he's saying, I am. Now, when he says, I am coming again, we can absolutely 100% trust that fact. He is the Almighty. He is, and he was, and he is to come. You should just be so excited about that this morning. I mean, come on, did you, did your Cheerios not taste right this morning when you got a, I mean, do we understand who he is? Today, my, my, my mission today, literally, honestly, is I, as I was studying for this 
all week. I felt like we're done with the chair series. I felt like we said all that we can say about that. And, and, and I just thought, God, what do you want me to say to your people on Sunday? And so as I prayed this, I realized that you are sitting here today. This means God wanted you to be here and he brought you here today. You think I just came, I, I just, this is what I decided to do today. We, God, we are far more influenced by God and his spirit than we realize. And I just want you to say, here's what God wants you to hear today. Jesus is everything. You know, what we do in Christianity is not about us. It's, I know there's a lot of people that have allowed humanism to sneak itself into the church, and we're even making our theology about us. It's less about him, and it's more about us. What does God want for me? God, I just listened to a song the other day that it just bothered me so much, and I, I couldn't figure out why it bothered me so much for a while. I was like, why does that bother me? Because the whole point of the song was, you're not upset with me, you're obsessed with me. And this was a person worshiping God and talking about God. And I understood what they were meaning. They were meaning that they came from a background where if you did anything wrong, you're going to hell and you're messed up and God's judging you and he wants to make things bad for you. And that's the way they may have been raised in a legalistic place. And then they've learned grace. They've understood that God does uh, 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 save us and he does, he does forgive us and he does set us free from the things but, but, but there's a lot of Christians that are not taking any steps beyond that place of initial grace where, and not understanding that grace is more than just God covering your sins or forgiving your sins, but it's also empowering you to overcome sin and to mature as a believer and see him do great things in and through your life. That's where it needs to go. But some of these people, some people have gotten stuck. You may be stuck in that theology right now. And what happens is when we do that, we make all of this, this Christianity about us and not about, about him. So then we sing songs like, God, you're not upset with me when I mess up and do bad things. You're obsessed with me. I, I, I know that God loves us. Listen, don't get me wrong. I know that God loves us. Matter of fact, his love for us is so extreme that we can't even understand it. Like, I, I can tell you what my life was and how messed up I was. I, I can tell you as a young man how, how messed up my life was. How did God even care to save me? Why did God even want to save me? I mean, I was worthless. If you just looked at me in human standards, I, was, I had nothing to offer God, but God loved me anyway. And he cared about me and he followed after me and he extended his grace to me and he didn't just save me and erase my sins he changed me so that my life is different than it was how awesome is Jesus but for us to say that all of this is about him being obsessed with us we need to be careful that we're 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 we need the song needs to say God, I realize you've given me grace. And because you've given me grace, I'm obsessed with you. Do you see how in some ways, it's, it's not that God doesn't love us, but in some ways we've turned the focus of Christianity onto us instead of onto him. Because the reason God saved you wasn't just so that you can go to heaven. That was great. That's a great benefit. Come on, somebody. It's a great benefit. How many of y'all are glad that you are going to heaven? I I'm so glad that I'm going to heaven. I'm glad that my sins are going to be forgiven or that are forgiven. I'm glad that I'm not going to have any sickness anymore. I'm glad that I'm going to be rejoicing in the, st the streets of God. Some of y'all are going to be so sad when you get to heaven because it's going to be loud there and there's going to be people praising and worshiping and jumping 
jumping and shouting and the angels are just going to run right over you if you don't get with it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it is an awesome place. No more sin, no more temptation, no more death. No, I love the fact that when you give your life to Jesus, you're going to heaven. I love it. I'm so thankful for it. But there was more to it than that. God wanted to redeem us, not just to get us to heaven, but to fulfill his purpose in and through us. That has a purpose for you, and he has a purpose for me, and he wants to do those things in us. And the only way those things actually get accomplished, they get accomplished exactly what Pastor Scotty prayed this morning. God, we surrender. And the only way we get to a place where we can say, God, I'm not important, only you are important, like John the Baptist did when his followers came to him and they said, Jesus, I mean, John, all the people are leaving you and they're going to follow Jesus. And John's response wasn't, I'm offended, I'm losing my following. He didn't say that. He said, I must decrease, so he must increase. It's like what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Basically, Apostle Paul was saying this, he died for me, I'm going to live for him. He, he went all the way for me, I'm going to go all the way for him. The only way for us to get to that place is for us to get a true vision of who He is. And understand that everything we do, it's all Jesus all the time. Trying to build this church, it's not about building Summit. It's about building the church of Jesus Christ. It's not about getting people saved so that we can say, we got them saved. It's about getting them into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? It's all about Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. When we get up in the morning, everything in our life should be about Jesus. When we go to bed at night, everything in our life should be about Jesus. When we go through our day, everything in our life should be filtered through the lens of Jesus. That's what Christians are. Did you know that the word Christian isn't a positive word? Now, in our culture today, we accept it as who we are. We identify ourselves as those who believe in Christ as people who are Christians, and we gladly take that title. But they were first called Christian in Macedonia, and it wasn't a compliment. He was, they were saying, oh, here comes those people that act like Jesus. Oh, here they come, those Jesus people. Now, I got to tell you, I just, I just call me that. Just call me Jesus. When, when my life, because I'm so in love with Jesus, affects the way you feel about me, I am doing what God has called me to do because, hello, everything about my life should be about everything. Jesus isn't a compartment of my life. He isn't a Sunday portion of my life. He isn't a, when I do some outreach part of my life, he isn't a missions part of my life. He isn't the family devotional part of my, no, 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 no. Jesus is my whole life. I hope to God that the world would look at us and say, oh, here come those Christians, those little Christ, here they come. I hope the world could look at us and say, here come those people that have turned the world upside down. That's what I want. Why? Because my whole life, my whole life, 
every part of my life, every aspect of my life, every word out of my mouth, every action should have that influence and effect of Jesus on my life. Your kids should feel this surrender to Jesus. Your family should feel this surrender to Jesus. Your world, your career, your everything should feel this surrender to Jesus. It should be a light that shines out of us whether we want it to or not. That we're so close to Jesus. We're so obsessed with Jesus that we can't help but just represent Jesus. In order for that to happen, we got to know who he is. Well, everybody knows who Jesus is. The answer to that is nope. Just listen to the world talk about Jesus. And sadly, listen to some in the church that talk about Jesus. Because they're, here, they're, they're, they're getting more of their theology about Jesus from the world than they are from His Word. we got to be careful with this we got to stop because people feel a certain way. We can't start letting their feelings affect the way we think about our Jesus. People don't really know Jesus. They don't really understand Him. And, and, and how many of you get the, the thought, how many of you get the thought that just because you know about someone doesn't mean you know someone? I've had lots of people in my life that I knew about them. I got friends right now. Somebody with a friend was talking to me the other day, and, and this person who they were talking to me about is a really famous person. You'd know them if, if I told you. And I'd, I said to them, look, I've had dinner with them a few times, but I don't know them. We're not friends. We're not close. I know about them, but I don't really know them. And a lot of times we want to claim those kinds of things and say we know them. But you know that can get you in trouble. Because you say you know somebody and they do something and you're like, I don't really know them. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, knowing someone is different than knowing about someone. You can know about the characteristics of someone but not know them. This is the thing that's so powerful about the God we serve. He is incomprehensible yet knowable. Think about that for a minute. You can't fully understand God and it's, it's hilarious to me to see people turn away from God because they can't fully understand Him. Are you kidding me? If God is who He says He is, and if you are who you are because you are finite and limited and small and insignificant just like me and every human being that walks on the face of this planet. Isn't it interesting how arrogant we are to think that we could know someone like God and understand everything about Him? And if we can't understand or explain everything about Him, then He's not real. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. That's not even an intelligent argument. There's a lot of things you don't truly know about, but they exist. How many of you are experts in chemistry? But there are things in chemistry that exist, right? How many of you could quote the periodic table? If you raise your hand, you, I, I want to be friends with you. There's a song, right? But it doesn't mean if you don't understand it, 
You know, there's a lot of things that are made that are created. Like I do not today, I want to tell you something. This might shock you. This might shock you no end, what I'm about to say to you. I do not understand how the internet works. I don't get it. I don't understand it. How does this, some of y'all are like, I have lost confidence in you now. I don't get it. How do we send messages through our text message? You just pops up. Listen, I came from the land of landlines. Y'all know what I'm saying? I came from that wire that way. And I don't even understand that. How in the world did we get to the point, from the point of sending messages like that to all of a sudden the same kind of wire hooking you up from one phone to another and you can actually talk to each other? Who knows how to do that? Somebody does. But just because I don't understand how all that works does not mean it doesn't exist. We need to understand that God is, yes, he is in a lot of ways incomprehensible. But that's the powerful thing about God. He's also knowable. In other words, you can do more than know about him. Through Jesus, you can actually know him, be in relationship with him. Are you with me? But the only way we do that is to get a clear picture of who he is. And, and, and so the Bible says that Jesus is the fullness of God bodily. In other words, if we want to know how God is, look at Jesus. Right? So today, I just want to draw your attention to that for the next just few minutes. Jesus. Who is he? I want you to imagine, if you will, that day. It was noon. One of the most vicious things that has ever happened on the face of this planet was happening. Jesus was being crucified. Jesus. Jesus was being crucified between two thieves, one of which mocked him because of his, only, his, his own disdain for life, and the other recognized this is a righteous man. How dare you mock him? And Jesus takes him to heaven with him. Jesus is on this cross. And, and, and you say, there's a lot of things that have happened that are more treacherous than that. There are things that have happened that were more vicious than that. Look at all that's happened in the world. No, the thing that makes this different is who was being crucified. Jesus was being crucified. Jesus was innocent. Everyone agreed, even those who didn't like him had to admit, they had to make up, literally numerous times, had to make up stories about him to get him in trouble because they couldn't find any real reason to get him in trouble. He was a good man, a loving man, a caring man. And the thing that's so awesome about Jesus is he was all man, yet he was also all God. And he was perfect. And here he was, a man that was a man of perfection, a man that was a man of innocence, a man that had never sinned his entire life, was put on a tree uh, in, with some bogus charge of criminal activity and killed for being himself. If you want to understand crucifixion, you have to understand it is not a, a death of dying from losing all your blood. It is not a death of dying of pain. It is not a death of dying of heart failure. It is suffocation, plain and simple. Here's this innocent man, this Jesus, this Son of God, as His disciples knew Him at that point, still not fully understanding who He was or what He was about to do. 
still he goes to this cross explaining to them because in their minds they just couldn't grab a hold of what it was going to look like. And he, he goes to this cross and he's facing all of this, this innocent, good man who had done no wrong. His joints, the Bible tells us, and medical People will tell us that all of his joints came out of place. Every elbow, every shoulder, every knee, every hip, everything out of place. Every time he wanted to take a breath, he had to push up on his feet so that he could grab a, 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 a air, a little bit of air. And the more he did that, the more he suffocated, the more his lungs filled up with fluid. And, and after a, 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 a several hour period, he, he just... Gave up the ghost. And many times when they wanted to hurry it up, they would break the person's legs so that they could not push up to get any air. Jesus. And one of the things that's interesting to me is why we should know that Jesus is who he says he is is because it got dark. How many of y'all know when God gets upset about things, you know it? So funny to me how God's this and God's that and God's this. No, if God wants to stomp his foot, you'll know he does. Come on, y'all. God's judging this and God's judging that and that's what, no, no. If God wants to judge, it'll be judged. Are you, are you with me? And so his son's dying. The Bible says his son said several things. Jesus said several things on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Can you imagine? Really? Can you imagine the 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 the, 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 the disgusting, treacherous, rebellious, hard-hearted behavior of literally, although not physically doing it, that crowd murdered him. And, and, and to, to expand the theology, you need to understand you and I, we, we, we murdered him because of the sin and failure and, and disease of sin in our own life that we were born with and acted on all of our life. Those sins were put upon him. And, 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 and as he was put in this position and he's sitting there suffocating, he, he, one thing he says is, Father, why have you forsaken me? For that first moment in his existence, he really felt a separation from his father. And, 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 and then he begins to, to, to give up the ghost. And when he does, when he says it's finished, and then he says, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. In other words, Jesus chose when he would go. He just said, God, take my spirit and God took his spirit and he was dead he wasn't playing dead he wasn't semi-dead that's what some historians will say he wasn't really dead well he got whipped 39 times minus one which means you could see his insides and then he was hung on a cross and suffocated I'm sure of it he was dead they took him off that tree and put him in a tomb, he was dead. And in that process, the Bible says all, everything got dark. There was an earthquake, lightning and thunder began to roll. And Jesus was dead. 
The Bible says in Luke chapter 23, verse 44 through 47, it says, It was about now, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. That was Him giving us access into His presence. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. So he was betrayed with a kiss. He was tried first at the house of the high priest, and then he was sent over to Pilate, and then Pilate sent him over to Herod, and Herod sent him back to Pilate, and all the time being ridiculed, all the time being mocked, all the time his beard being pulled from his face, all the time no one could prove he did anything wrong, and he stood before these great governing officials, and they couldn't find anything wrong with him, yet because of the political pressure, they just kept taking him down that track until finally there was a point of no return. And history tells us that not only Pilate feel the angst about doing anything to Jesus because his wife had a dream that said, don't touch this holy man. And he did it anyway under the political pressure of Caesar. And he, he, he killed Jesus on that cross. And history tells us Pilate lost his mind. He was hanging on a cross when he said his last words. He finished his course and he commended his spirit. And all I have to say is, always, only, Jesus. That is the mantra of my life. That is the dedication of my heart. Always, only, Jesus. There's a lot of things to talk about. There's a lot of things to be about. There's a lot of things we could do. But I want my life to be a reflection of always, only, Jesus. You know, he had this garden moment, this moment of, I don't know about this, this moment of this is going to be very painful, this moment is, this is going to be hard. How many of you have ever gone to the principal's office? You ever gone to the principal's office and you're sitting outside the principal's office and you know you deserve to be there? That was me. I was never the victim. I was always, I should be there. And, 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 and even though I didn't want to be there, I still felt that it was just for me to be there. And I didn't want to go in there. And in my mind, I would try to figure out, God, how, how, I mean, not God, but I wonder if there's a way to convince the principal that he doesn't really need, I have changed. In the moment that my teacher sent me down here, my, I'm, I have changed. My behavior has changed. And that's back when they could do stuff like spank your rear end. And, and, and hallelujah, we need some more of it. But anyway, I, I, I tell you, it, it, was, it, was, it was an experience where you knew you were going to get the paddle but when you get up to the moment of the paddle, you're just, please, is there any way to negotiate this that maybe I shouldn't have to do it? But you have to understand, Jesus got to that point sitting there and saying, God, is there any other way? And there was no other way. And his solution wasn't, I don't want to do this. These people don't deserve it. Because he could have called a legion of angels and just destroyed the earth and said, I'm done with this. This is not worth it. But he didn't. He said, Father... Not my will, but your will. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. The Bible says in Luke chapter 22. He prayed more earnestly. His sweat was like great drops of blood that fell to the ground. He was struggling. But before that, I want you to imagine in your mind, if you will, the temple. 
and, and, and the busyness of the temple and all the people coming to the temple. And all of a sudden, you see some guy walks through the front door of the temple, the front, the first entrance to the temple, and he sees that there are people in the temple and they are making a mockery of the temple. They are doing things they should never do. They were using the people to enrich themselves. They were using the things of God to make themselves. They were corrupt. They were using the house of God in all the wrong ways. And he knew not only their actions, but he knew their motives. And here comes Jesus, the rabbi, the great teacher, the healer of the sick and the raiser of the dead, walks through the temple and starts chunking tables and money's flying everywhere. He's got a whip in his hand. I don't know if he hit anybody, but I can't imagine having a whip if he didn't intend to hit somebody. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he was mad. He was upset. He was angry, not in a physical way, not in a fleshly way, but in a righteous indignation. And he declared something to those people. My father's house will be called a house of prayer. It's a psalm that David wrote. And he said, my father's house will be called a, a house of prayer. And you have made it a den of robbers. In other words, you have turned my father's house into something it was never intended to be, and you're abusing and misusing people, and I'm not going to stand for it. The Bible literally says that the zeal for his house overwhelmed Jesus. He just was ate up by that. And, and can, can I tell you today, that's how important the house of God is. That's the zeal that we should have for the house of God. That's the passion we should have for the gathering of the saints. And Jesus modeled that for us. He, he showed us that this is a, an important place. This is a place where people come together to edify each other and to lift up the name of the Lord and to exalt God the Most High and to experience His presence and to be equipped to do what God has called them to do all week long until the next time they can gather with some believers and be edified and to be strengthened and to grow. And this is the zeal that we should have. The Bible said the zeal for God's house consumed Him. We live in a time of society where the church life has become consumeristic. I'll go where they do the things I like. I'll be a part if I want to do it. I'll worship if the songs are the ones I wanted to sing. If i got to play it on my CD, then I'm going to worship. I'll worship if I'm comfortable, if I'm not. I'll give God a praise if the right song is sung. Can I just tell you something, guys? We're not to be consumers. This isn't Walmart. This isn't Dillard's. This is the house of God. And we should be consumed by the will and purpose of God. Come on, are you with me? This is what Jesus was about. This is what Jesus did. Everybody say, always, only Jesus. Luke chapter 19, verse 46. It's written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. He was weeding out corruption. He was eaten up with zeal. He was, he is, and he is to come. And why did he do all this? Why did he go to that cross? Why did he go to that garden? Why is he in the temple throwing over tables? For you. For you and for me. This was the whole purpose of his life. Do, do you remember how they tried to test them? The lawyer came to him and said, 
Who is my neighbor? You remember that? What's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And the lawyer tried to test him and said, well, Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus told him a story, and it was a great story about a man who, who took care of another person. And he ends the whole thing by saying, it's not about who is your neighbor. It's about who can you be a neighbor They tried to test him, but he continued to speak the words of the living God. And before he did all of this, he was ministering miracles to people. Before he taught all the great things that he taught, he would minister miracles to people. In Mark chapter 6, verse 2, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who had heard him were amazed. And where did this, where did this uh, man get these things, they asked? And what's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? And before this, he was anointed and tested. You have to understand, Jesus has gone through things. He faced trials. He faced temptations. The Bible said he was tempted at all points like we are, yet he did not sin. The Bible said he knows the feeling of our infirmities. Jesus loves you. Jesus went through pain for you. Jesus went through facing sin for you. Jesus faced death for you. Jesus looked hell in the face, stole its keys, came back to the earth and said, you're free. He did that all for you. He didn't do it for himself. He could have easily said, I don't want a part of this. I don't want to do this. They're not worth it. They're not deserving. But instead he said, because they're not deserving and because they're not worth it to humanity, I want to save them. I want to heal them. I want to deliver them. I want to bring them into my family. He didn't just save you to be a servant. He saved you to be a son. Come on, somebody. You ought to be shouting down because it's about Jesus always only Jesus it's not about your agenda and it's not about my agenda and it's not about the issues of life and it's not about what's going on in the world it's about one thing Jesus 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 that's what it's about you're going to go to the polls in the next week and you know what you're going to vote when you go to the polls you're going to vote Jesus well it got quiet You're not going to vote some agenda. You're not going to vote some personality. No, you're a Christian, a spirit-filled Christian. And you're going to go and you're going to line up with the platform of Jesus. What does Jesus want for our nation? What does Jesus say about the things that are happening in our world? We have a part to play. But the part is taking everything from the place of Jesus. Not not any other thing. Not any other thing. But I'm this party and I'm that party. No, Jesus. But I'm this person out here. I'm that person. No, Jesus. Sorry. All right. I'll keep going then. Before Jesus went through that, he was anointed and he was tested. He was baptized. He was baptized. What a, what a celebrity. That, I mean, a celebration that must have been. Oh, I need to stop. What a celebration that must have been. Huh? When Jesus was baptized. John the Baptist said, the guy I've been telling you about. The guy I've been telling you about. He's here. It's him. It's him. I don't, John said he didn't know him before this, which means it was his cousin. He didn't know. Can you imagine what John was thinking? My cousin. I never knew. I knew he was different. I knew he was different. He's always standing up in the bathtub. 
I knew it was different, but this is him. This is the man. This is the one who's coming to fill you with the Holy Spirit, to baptize you with power. This is the one. I'm not even worthy of buckling his shoes. I wouldn't even attempt to hand him his shoes. He's so powerful. He saw this is him. What a celebration. And they take him down into the water. John the Baptist does. And Jesus comes up out of the water. And when he comes up out of the water, the Father speaks from heaven. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the spirit like a dove lights on him. And here we see the Trinity, the power of God. Always, only Jesus. And what a moment. But do you know what happened? Immediately following that moment, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Some of the gospels say he was with wild animals. I saw a guy in a video just the other day that was on a hike and a bear walked right up into his path. Let me tell you, that was an interesting video. That dude was doing everything he could. I mean, he was like, had the Holy Ghost. He was all over the place, man. He was like, get out, move. He was yelling stuff that didn't even make sense. He was just like, don't eat me. And I just think we don't really realize the reality of where Jesus was. I'm sure Jesus had dominion. But the truth is, he was out in the wilderness and he fasted. For 40 days and 40 nights. And the devil came to him and just started attacking him. When he got to his weakest physical point, the devil just started tempting him. And Jesus, over and over again, took the word of God like a sword and defeated the devil. To not just defeat him, but to model for us. There were two things that happened there. The first thing was, it was a part of the redemption story. The first thing was, Jesus did what was prophesied of him. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet he didn't sin. And the second thing he did was model for us how to defeat the devil. He was 12. Before that, he was 12 years old, wielding his wisdom in the temple with the scribes and Pharisees. And they couldn't understand how this little young man could be born for so much purpose and live for so much purpose and love with so much purpose. He did it for you. Before he was in the temple at 12 and before he was born of a virgin, before all that, he was at the beginning. A lot of times we look at Jesus as if he started when he was born on this earth. But Jesus is the second person of the Trinity And when John described Jesus, he started with something very important. He said, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made by Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shone in darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. And in the 14th verse of that first chapter, it says, And the Word, the Logos, the knowing became flesh and dwelt among us as we beheld him as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus didn't just show up when he was born. Matter of fact, you can go through the Old Testament and see the unincarnated Jesus showing up, the pre-incarnate Jesus showing up in different people's lives. There are some times when they say it's an angel, and then there are other times they say it's the Lord. It was a manifestation of the 
of, of the life of Jesus. He is the Word. He's the very personification of these inspired words on this page. You think you should read the Bible? It's Jesus talking to you. It's Jesus speaking to you. It's revelation that Jesus wants to give you. Are you with me this morning? Can you hear this? In Hebrews 1.10 it says, He also says in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. He was saying this to Jesus. This is why Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I am he that is, and I was, and I am to come. He is Alpha. He's Omega. He's beginning. He's in. He's the teacher. He's our creator. He's our sustainer. He's our Savior and Lord. He is our heavenly healer. He is our dominant deliverer. He is our providing protector. He is our kind king. He is our family. He is our friend. He is our Jesus. And we need not just know about him, but we need to personally and intentionally know him because there is no one like him. And beside him, there is no other God and there is no other king. He is a high and holy potentate of the universe and no one can compare and nothing can compare. You need a doctor called Jesus. You need a healer called Jesus. You need deliverance called Jesus. You need peace called Jesus. That's who you need. He said, all you that labor and are heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I'm meek and lowly and a heart. I'll give you rest to your soul. That's Jesus. That's who Jesus is. Before creation, before creation, he had a plan for your salvation. God planned to create man. Many theologians believe that the devil who led worship was kicked out of heaven because of his own pride. And that God created man, the Bible says very clearly, God created man to worship him. So in a lot of ways, the reason the devil hates us so much is because God created us to replace him. And God knew that if he made man with free will, that man would have a propensity to choose sin. So before he even created mankind, he said, we better make a plan because if they choose death, if they choose sin, if they choose themselves over me, then we got to save them. You say, that really happened before God created anything? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 through 21 in the Amplified Bible, it says, But you were actually purchased with precious blood, like that of a sacrificial lamb, unblemished and spotless, the priceless blood of Christ. For he was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but he appeared publicly in these last times for you. And through him you believe confidently in God the heavenly father who raised him from the dead and gave him the glory so that your faith and hope centered in his in his, in God but what did he say he said foreordained he was foreordained before the foundation of the world he humiliated himself to save us 
and He saved us to adopt us. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to Him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church podcast.